Welcome to You're the Boss, a mantra for anyone who's ever had to face their own fears, struggles, and even failures. Join host Larry Roberts for a deep dive into overcoming limiting beliefs and identifying where our pasts can shape us rather than define us to build a lifestyle and business filled with passion and purposeful leadership. Now your host, Larry Roberts. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to You're the Boss. And I say back, and we it has a couple of different meanings this time because, well, those of you that follow the show may realize that I haven't released anything since April of this year. And there's a reason for that. And I've got a guest today, and she's probably looking at me right now going, what? I had no idea this guy's got me on a dead podcast. But it's not a dead podcast by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I had just learned some lessons along the way there, building up to my break that I took. And uh, hopefully this time we're going to come back. We're going to come back a little stronger, a little more focused, and with a little different take on things. Um, I'm, I'm getting back involved on actually inviting guests to the show. And just for reference, I mean, those of you listening, probably a lot of you are podcasters, you got to stay invested in the content that you're creating on a personal level. You know, each and every day we're, we're filled with all sorts of things that we have to take care of. We're either running a business, maybe we're still fully employed, maybe we're, we have a corporate job somewhere. So we're trying to take as many, uh, we won't call them shortcuts, but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to streamline our processes and in doing so, I was taking those steps also, and I was allowing booking agencies to recommend guests. Now, the booking agencies, they did a great job. They would send me a ton of guests, and they'd send me a, a ton of guest concepts with one sheets and bios, and I would read through them, say, this person sounds great, that person sounds great. And so I had a, just a, a little hand in, in picking the guests. But really, I was just taking guests for the sake of having a guest on the show. And that doesn't serve anybody any purpose. It doesn't bring any value to the show. It doesn't bring any value to the guest. And it definitely doesn't bring any value to you, the listener. So I had to take a step back, kind of reevaluate what are the goals for the show? Why am I even doing this? And I've said for years that a podcast is a ticket to the dance. And podcasting has opened up so many doors for me. But that's not the only reason that we do it. And my goal in the show is to bring you value, but at the same time, build lasting relationships with every guest that I have on the show. And not having a hand in picking those guests automatically creates a roadblock from that happening. So uh, I do have a brand new guest with me today, and her name is Alyssa Locke. She is a financial literacy educator, and she has gone a long ways to allowing herself to reach uh, a retirement at a very early age. I'm not going to say her age, just out of respect, but I just turned 50, what, two weeks ago? And, uh, well, I'd like to be able to put myself in her position where she's at right now. So uh, let's just get to it. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining me today. And hopefully you're going to stick around even following that explanation. Oh, there's so much I want to talk about just about your introduction. I almost feel like I don't want to talk about, you know, my journey or, um, you know, money or money mindset or money behavior or any of the things that I usually talk about. I feel like I want to talk about your journey. So, wow, fascinating. And, you know, what struck me as you were talking is that uh, um, as a somebody who's been a serial entrepreneur um, for most of my career, I so often fell into 
the um, mindset and behavior that you just described, where we're running, running, running all the time. And we're, you know, we have a million ideas and we're passionate about our business and we're running, 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 right? And sometimes then we need to take a pause, right? Take a breath, recenter, refocus. And it sounds like you did. And it sounds like you're coming back stronger. So very excited to be here. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate your understanding and, and really appreciate having you here today. It was fun. We were having a little chat before we hit the record button talking about uh, FinCon. And, uh, you know, I just got back from FinCon this past weekend. You had have been there previously. Uh, a pretty cool conference, man. And one thing that we, we didn't say even before we hit record was I was really blown away at, at, at one thing that I experienced there, and that was the level of education. Mm. You know, you go to conferences and you you go through these tracks. You can choose to go to different levels of education. Uh, and some of them are a little lackluster. We'll just put it that way. But I was really blown away. I only went to a few sessions, but the sessions that I went to at FinCon, they were really next level. I mean, they were really insightful. You walked away with actionable tips from mm -hmm. the speaker. The speakers were engaging. They got the audience involved. I mean, it's everything that you could ask for from an educational experience. Is that what you've seen there as well? Yeah, FinCon does an amazing job of really vetting um, who they're bringing on stage or in a breakout session and making sure that they're coming at this from a, a place of service, um, truly. And um, I think they, ex they they have a very high level, very high, um, you know, expectation of what that content is going to be. So I had a similar experience, a great conference, highly recommend it for anybody in our space. Cool deal, cool deal. Well, uh, that, that's enough press for FinCon. They're not sponsoring the show. But FinCon, <laughs> if you're listening, yeah, we're open. You know, we'll talk about it. So, but no, it, it was great. It was a great show and I'll definitely be back. So that was cool. So tell us more about you. So you're a financial literacy educator, which you would have been a perfect fit there at FinCon, obviously. How did you get involved at this level? And I mean, really, we all want to know, how do we retire at, at, at such an early age? Yeah, well, I get that question a lot. And I actually think of myself, um, even though I am a certified financial literacy educator, I really think of myself as a financial coach because my clients are looking to change their, you know, money trajectory, right? They're, they have some kind of money struggle, whether it's I've got a lot of debt and I can't figure out how to pay it off, or I earn a lot of money, but I'm still living paycheck to paycheck, or whatever it is, right, that they're struggling with. If you don't focus on the mindset part, you know, your relationship with money, learning about why you do what you do with your money, it will be almost impossible to change your behavior and stick to it. And so as a financial coach, I really marry almost like financial therapy with financial education. Financial therapy. That's a new term. I've never heard that one. <laughs> what is financial yeah. therapy? I mean, I think my wife, she could probably benefit from it. I mean, I'm just guessing based on <laughs> how many Amazon shipments come to the house every day. So I'm guessing that would be beneficial there, but maybe I'm on the wrong path. What is, what is financial therapy? Financial therapy um, is actually a profession where you, we work with people who may have had some financial trauma in their life um, or financial abuse in their life. 
you know, you asked me about my story. Um, and one of the things that um, I will share with you is that growing up, um, the messages that I heard from my parents around money, and we all hear messages from our parents around money, right? They may say things to us like money doesn't grow on trees, right? Or, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned or, you know, whatever, right? Mom We're and dad are saying Do they still say that these days? Are, are those still things know. that parents say? I mean, my kid's 30, so I don't, I don't even know. So. <laughs> yeah. But the messages that I heard, whether they were verbal messages or whether it was just the example of, you know, what I saw my parents doing is that spending money is bad and saving money is good. Um, I lived in um, a very wealthy county in Connecticut and we were not wealthy at all. We were probably, you know, solidly middle class, but compared to others, I felt poor. And my parents acted as if they were poor. They had a mindset that, you know, they had to save, 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 save because of, of their history with money. And so what happened with me is when I became an adult out of their household, earning money on my own, I had felt so deprived and restricted as a child that I was like a kid in a candy store now. I spent, spent, spent. Sure. And of course, that got me into a lot of trouble. So um, I wish I had had some financial therapy along the way. For me, I had to kind of figure it out on my own. And we'll get to that part of the story. But um, that's what financial therapy is. It kind of works with people who maybe have some emotional you know, issues or some money trauma. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And I probably could benefit from it myself because, I mean, growing up, uh, especially in my earlier years, my single digit years, and I can remember some of this back way back then in the seventies, but we grew up and we were so poor that we lived in the back of a trailer park. We lived in the maintenance wow. shed of a trailer park wow. and we called it the cracker box. And I still remembered, I mean, it was a one room. It was it wasn't much more than a shed, honestly. Uh, wow. We had furniture made out of uh, those wooden cable wheels that maybe you could, you've seen on trucks. Uh, that was our dinner table. We had cinder blocks and and like two by fours for uh, like an entertainment center. I mean, that was that's, wow. that, that's milk crates. I remember milk crates. Be I mean, literally. So I grew up in in that environment, and things things never really got that much. Be- they got better. Don't get me wrong. We eventually made our way to the trailer park. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I grew up in a trailer park, but ironically enough, I also went to a private school my whole life. So, but my grandmother paid for that because I was born with a birth defect and they wanted to protect me because if I got hurt, I had to have reconstructive surgery when I was four years old. And if my chest got damaged, uh, it could kill me like instantly on the spot. Uh, wow. So they wanted to protect me. They wanted me in a, in a protected environment. So I ended up going to a private school my whole life, but that made for an interesting dichotomy in the fact that I live in a trailer park And here I am going to the bougiest private school in Sherman, Texas. So I was too poor to wear all the cool clothes and wear the the Air Jordans and all that fun stuff. But I had the the family atmosphere and the protected atmosphere of of going to a private school. So there was some interesting dynamics there when it came to financial understanding, right? So as I get a little bit older, I I, I came right out of high school and started selling cars. 
And man, I was crushing it. And I'm 18, 19 years old. I'm bringing in tens of thousands of dollars a month because selling cars back then in the in the early 90s, it was just a, it was just a bloodbath for people that were buying cars and just a beautiful time for car salespeople. Uh, and I had no idea how to handle this, man. I had me a townhouse and a cat daddy car. And, a, you know, I'm still young too. So I got me a cat daddy sound system and I'm <laughs> spending money like it's free, right? Yeah. Well, shortly thereafter, I end up filing for bankruptcy because mm. I got buried. I, I was like, oh, this credit stuff, this is really cool. At least I thought I got buried. Here's where the joke comes in. I filed bankruptcy for just under $19,000 worth of debt. <sighs> yeah. Wow. So I'm selling cars, and the, the finance guy at the time is like, oh, everybody files bankruptcy. It's cool, man. Just file bankruptcy. It won't hurt you. It'll be gone in no time. It's not seven years. And that's the only thing that he said that was right was it's not seven years. It's a freaking lifetime because it took, oh, golly, man, I, I had horrific credit up until 12, 15 years ago. So well into my late 30s, that bankruptcy stuck with me. And it wasn't until I married my wife and she goes, look, bro, this ain't going to cut it. <laughs> we, we're going to have to clean this up because I'm used to having good credit. <laughs> so Thanks to her help and her financial literacy, we were able to clean that up. But that illiteracy that comes with not having money, then suddenly having money, and then not making smart decisions, uh, having that, that, that therapy there uh, it would be very, very beneficial. How do you help people overcome that? Yeah, wow. Oh, there's so much there. <laughs> right. Yeah, I got, we I got we tons could of literally them. spend the next six hours just unpacking all of that. So <laughs> we got tons of them. We got stories for days. So, you know, there's a couple things that that I would say, and it goes back to let's just kind of take this kind of step by step. Sure. So everybody has this money story, right? You just shared your money story. I shared my money story. This money story. It's really important to understand that because. These messages that we hear as children, again, whether they're from your parents or they could be from your community, right? They, you talked about how your community impacted you. They could be from your peers. They could be from your culture. They can be from your religion. All of these things, right, form your philosophy and emotions and relationship with money. So then you um, become an adult, right, and you're for most of us, most families, money is a very taboo subject, right? Families don't talk about money. It's something most people are really uncomfortable talking about. I, I often say that a lot of my clients would rather get naked in front of me than talk about their money. But at some point, if you, yeah, you're giving me the- yeah, I'll just really? tell you about my money, that's okay. <laughs> but it is one of those taboo kind of subjects and it makes people really uncomfortable. And so you gotta get naked with your money, right? So the first thing is really understanding you know, what these these emotions and mindset and all things are. When, when I, so in my early 30s, I got divorced from my first husband and I left that marriage with $60,000 of debt and zero savings. And I moved into this crappy little apartment with my five-year-old daughter and it was a really dark time in my life. And I can remember laying in bed at night. I mean, I, I feel like this was yesterday. Every time I tell this story, I would lay in bed at night and I would think to myself, how did I get here? Like my parents taught me better. 
right? And so I was filled with shame and I was filled with fear and I felt like a failure, right? Because again, of the messages that my parents had, you know, given me about money, right? And I realized that if I didn't change how I thought about money and felt about money, I had to do that work first before I could really start to change my behavior. I knew ultimately some way, somehow I would dig myself out of that hole, right? But in order to sustain any kind of behavioral change, you got to work with what's in between your ears first. And one for me, one of the biggest things is I had to stop equating my net worth and my self-worth. And this is something that a lot of people experience, right? They feel good when they're wearing the, you know, latest sne- right, sneakers or they're carrying the latest handbag or they've had the manicure or they're driving the luxury car, right? That makes them feel worthy. But the reality of it is, if you're driving an old car, you are no less smart you are no less beautiful, you are no less funny, you are no less sexy, right? But we equate our self-worth and our net worth. And for me, that was one of the biggest things that at first I had to unpack. And that's a very common thing. Yeah, it, it's, it's tough to accept that. I mean, even today, you know, and I think you, um, we mentioned either before we hit record or just shortly after, you, you probably caught my latest reel that I put out on Instagram. I was talking about how, just this year, I've realized that I've, I've in my second year of having my own business, I've surpassed my corporate salary from the career that I just left, January fourth of last year of twenty one. Um, but congratulations, doing, that's thank, amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, but what a lot of people don't know and they don't really see is. I made a lot of plans and I made a lot of sacrifices to position myself in a way that I could walk away from that 21 year career with the same company Mm. to do content creation, podcasting and consulting full time. I sold my baby. I sold my cat daddy Jeep that I had with the massive tires and the killer system. And I sold all my toys. I got rid of all my debt sans my mortgage. I still have a mortgage, but other than that, paid off the other car. My wife and I today, we have one car. Mm. She still works at the office, so she drives back and forth to the office. I work here at the house. Do we really need a second car? I travel a lot, but I can grab an Uber. Even yeah. if I need to go somewhere local, I can either plan it around when she's home because she works at home two days a week, so that's convenient. I can get the car those two days. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's still a pain to work yeah. with. Yeah. But that's what people don't see is that you have to adjust that mindset and be, be able to accept the fact that you're going to have to make these sacrifices in order to position yourself to grow and move forward. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So true. When I was that, you know, single mom in my early thirties with all this debt, um, you know, one of the things that I realized I was going to have to do was um, look at what I call the big three. So the big three are housing, transportation, and food. Because if you think of what people spend between those big three, that is by far the majority of people spending, right? We, we hear this thing about, oh, don't get the $5 pumpkin spice latte, right? Okay, I, I gotta tell you that in my opinion, yes, you need to be 
you know, have some little self-control around all of those, you know, little $5 incidentals. But you got to drink an awful lot of Starbucks to really make an impact. I learned as, again, I was going through this journey that if I can't even give myself small little treats, you know, I end up just feeling restricted and deprived. And then I'm like, you know, forget it. I can't. It's just... I, I need to keep motivated. And so every so often, you know what? I'll go to TJ Maxx and buy a new shirt. I'll go to, you know, Starbucks and I'll buy my, whatever. Um, and I've always had what I call me money. And me money is an amount of money that I give myself every month to spend on whatever the heck I want. And I still do that t- today. In fact, my husband has me money and I have me money because I got remarried. And it's an amount of money. And, and by the way, my husband and I have different amounts of me money. <laughs> my wife I and I have, have different amounts of me money as well. So I do have more. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's money that I can spend guilt-free, and I've just worked it into kind of my spending plan. Yep. Um, so when I was that single you know, mom, um, and I realized I had to do something different with my money, at the time, part of my $60,000 debt was I owed about $28,000 in a car loan. I had this beautiful white Volvo sedan. And in my mind, I justified buying that sedan because I need a safe car for my child, right? Like I need to look professional for my job, right? Like, you know, you because we can justify any purchase. Sure. We can justify any bad financial move and in our minds make it a really smart thing. So um, I sold that car, even though I loved that car, right? I mean, I felt like a badass driving that car, <laughs> right? As, which is kind of hilarious that I'm saying I felt like a badass driving a Volvo, but, you know, whatever. So, you know, badasses come in all shapes, sizes, and colors, so it's all right. good. And at that time, my parents had this beat up old Hyundai Sonata that had so many miles on it that they were actually donating it. Right. And I said, look, don't donate it. I want to drive it. Right. And I made a deal with myself and I said, I'm going to drive this car because it was free. They gave it to me. I'm going to drive this car until I'm debt free. I said, like, I can do it. And I kind of made this deal. And in my mind, even when I was like driving up to social engagements and I was like, oh, God, this is so embarrassing. I'm going to park around the block or whatever. I was like, "Uh uh-uh, it's temporary. You got a bigger goal in mind, you know, and I would kind of say that to myself and it got me through. Yeah, it, it can definitely be tough to do that, but it, it goes right back to what I was saying a minute ago. You know, those sacrifices have to be made and it's it's so it's so much in the mindset. And I love the fact the fact that you talk about money mindset. What are some of the other points that you could make about money mindset that might help some of the listeners take action today? to adjust their money mindset and realize that with just some minor changes and some minor, maybe a difference in perspective, uh, they could start seeing some progress with their own financial literacy. Yeah, so let's go back to something I was talking about before actually, which is these you know, money decisions that we make and how we can literally talk ourselves into anything or out of anything because our brains are wired to seek things that are pleasurable, right? And we, our brains resist 
things that are difficult, right? Or unpleasant, just the way the humans are wired, right? And so, um, so many times I see my clients justify how they're spending their money. And when they start having to justify it, (laughs) I know, right? What they're really feeling is guilt because they know better, right? So I'll give you an example. Um, I had a client just the other day who um, we were kind of finished with their kind of coaching program and we were just doing a quarterly check-in. And I did the quarterly check-in with the client and the client said, well, I had to buy a new car. I said, oh, um, you had to. Tell me what was going on, right? And they said, well, my car hit 100,000 miles and it's just a matter of time before either that car is going to need some kind of really expensive repair or I'm going to get stuck on the side of the road. And I, you know, all both of those things would be really horrible. So, you know, I had to buy a car. And I said, well, that's true. You might break down on the side of the road and you might need an expensive repair. But isn't it also possible that that car could go another 50, 60, 80,000 miles right? Yes, right? So we talked through and I coached them through how they were kind of justifying in their mind. The reality of it is they wanted a new car, right? It wasn't a need. It was a want. And so figuring that out in our head, right? And how we talk to ourselves is really important in changing our mindsets. Yeah, it's funny because I, I tend to do that with podcasting equipment. You know, I, I I need this particular microphone because if I don't sound just right, you know, no, that uh, that that hundred dollar microphone, I won't. I don't sound quite as good. It's a little twangy. But if I get this microphone, I resonate and sound amazing. I, I do it all the time. You know, and yeah, my wife it's does human nature. Thing. Yeah, yep, it's yeah. human nature. Yep. Yeah. And that's, you know, part of how I got into that $60,000 of debt. You know, I need this beautiful car so I can appear successful, right? I I work with a lot of entrepreneurs because I have been a serial entrepreneur. I, you know, my, people like that kind of gravitate towards me as a financial coach because I have lived their world. And, you know, I, I sometimes feel like if I had a dime for every time somebody said to me, well, I bought this, but it was a business expense. Right. I hear that all the time. It's a business expense. Like, yeah, but you still spent the money. (laughs) I'll tell you, this this is just exposing myself a little bit further. I'm sitting here right now. I mean, literally right this second debating on whether or not to join this mastermind. And it's $10,000 per year to join this mastermind. Okay. And I've been having this debate now for about a month with myself and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to lean towards pulling the trigger because, oh, just think of all the networking, think of the relation, think of the opportunities, think of the business deals that could come from this $10,000 quote unquote investment. Mm-hmm. And I put the investment in quotes because is it really? I, I don't know. I don't know. But see, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm having this internal debate right now going, is do I really need to join that? Everybody says you have to be in a mastermind to be successful. Do I? I don't know. And so I'm going through this process right now with this ridiculous potential purchase. And tomorrow I'll probably make the decision as to whether or not I'm going to join yeah. or not. And and look, you when you own a business, um, you have to invest in your business, 
right? Of course. And that's how I, I mean, you do, it. right? So, <laughs> right. But here's, here's what I might say. Okay. One, the question I would ask you is, do you have the cash, right? $10,000 yes. sitting in the bank that you do not need for some other purpose. You do not need it to pay your mortgage. You do not need it to pay your child's daycare. I don't know. I don't know nothing about your life, whatever it is, right? Expenses that you have. I didn't mean to turn this into a personal therapy session. No, that's okay. That's okay. (laughs) And the other question I would ask you is, right, have you funded the amount that you committed to funded for your retirement? Are those things already taken care of? And if they are, spend the money because you got it. Fair enough. Nice, high level, quick assessment that makes very, very valid points. So good. All right. Yeah. Well, that's going to make that phone call interesting tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and what's going to make more interesting is when I have the conversation with the wife tonight. That's going to be a, that's going to be a good one. Yeah, and you know it, this is a um, dilemma, right? And a struggle and a challenge sure. that every entrepreneur goes through, no matter what your business is, right? There will be. Th- uh, things that you want to buy, whether they're goods or services or, you know, masterminds or whatever the case may be, that are an investment in your business. And having, you know, been an entrepreneur, and I'm still an entrepreneur, right? Sure. Financial coach is self-employed, right? Um, I have to make these decisions all the time, right? Do I go to FinCon? Do I not? That's an expense, right? There, there you go, right? However, I will say that the way I manage my money is I have several different bank accounts and every month a certain amount automatically gets sent to my different bank accounts, which are funding what I need, right, for retirement, what I need for, right, my bills, what I need for my me money, right? And then what's left, right, is my money that I can invest or, or again, do whatever I want with. Sure. Sure. It's interesting. That's, that's, that's exactly what my wife does. And that's how she lined out our finances because she's much more financially literate than I ever was. Now I've learned a lot from her and, uh, but it's interesting to hear the suggestions that you're making that she's doing. So uh, she'll love the fact that you and I had this conversation today because she'll be able to say, see, I told you. <laughs> That's great. I like your wife already. What wife doesn't like saying, see, I told you. So, yeah, <laughs> we live for that. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. What what is what if you were to leave us with one just overall overreaching nugget uh, of influence or wisdom uh with the audience today, what would that be? Gosh, I have to pick just one. Okay, give um, us three. Well, no, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. Um, I would say, I, I would say, um, spend a little bit of time focusing on why you do what you do, because then when you um, work towards changing your habits, it will be so much easier for you, and you'll be able to sustain those habits. Excellent, excellent. I, I love the conversation. I love the fact that we revolve primarily around mindset because that changes so much. And, you know, I, I think a lot of, you alluded to it, a lot of our financial shortcomings come because we're too worried about what others are thinking about us versus mm-hmm. what we should be thinking about us, which is our future and our financial security going forward. And nobody on the outside laughing at your, your what was it, a Hyundai Sonata? Is that what it was? 
Yeah. They, uh, laughing at the Sonata. They're not planning for your financial future. They're not planning your retirement. They're not getting you out of debt. None of those people care about you. So why care what they think about you, especially to the point that you're sacrificing your own security? So I, I love that. Mindset's where it's at with everything that we do. And that's what we have to start first. So. I agree. Alyssa, I want to say thank you so very much for joining me today. This was a fun conversation and very insightful conversation. I appreciate the the five minutes that we spent on the personal coaching there. You can send me an invoice. Uh, <laughs> but before we go, do me a favor. Tell everybody that's listening where they can find you, find out more about you, and, and reach out and make contact with you. Sure. Our website is www.moneymentorgroup.com. And you can find Money Mentor Group on Instagram, on Facebook. I also have my own Instagram called Your Money Mama, where I uh, have a little fun um, talking about money. Um, So, yeah, that's where you can find us. That's awesome. I love that. Head over to Instagram, follow Your Money Mama today and find out more about your financial literacy. So once again, Alyssa, thank you so very much. I greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. Cool deal. Hey, everybody, this has been another uh, awesome, I got to say it. I mean, maybe that sounds arrogant, but I think it was an awesome episode of You're the Boss. And that's the message that we have for you today is you are the boss of your own financial future, your own financial literacy. Take control of it today. Make the changes necessary. Change that mindset and continue to move forward every step of the way. So until next time, if you like what you heard today on the on this particular episode, do me a favor, subscribe to the show. And as always, you can find me on Instagram, the Larry Roberts, and I look forward to seeing you. You've just listened to You're the Boss with Larry Roberts. Join us for our next episode where we help you achieve your goals and live your absolute best life. Be sure to subscribe, connect, and share. Until next time, remember, you're the boss.